Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 35 through 41 is where we'll be at this morning. Um, I'll read and then we'll pray. Verse 35. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with, filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this morning we would humbly approach your word, and we approach it, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would, you would instruct us and that you would teach us, Lord. We ask together for those that... Um, that don't believe, that are really struggling in their, in their faith to believe in something. Maybe they've been let down so much in their past by people in the church. Maybe even you, they feel like, Lord, I pray you would meet them today. That you would reveal to us in ways that we're doubting your care in our lives. Everything might be good, but there just might be areas in our life that we just don't think you care anymore. We ask God that you would meet us today that you would show us and reveal to us your word, that you would be near to us, that in the storms of our own lives that we would sense your nearness and your presence, God. I pray that you would build us all up in faith and maturity and that Christ would be exalted today. I submit my mind and my heart to you, Lord. I'm not, I just feel so humbled to be able to teach your word and I ask God that you would teach us all and instruct us all that we would all worship and love Jesus, and trust you, God. I know that's hard for us sometimes to trust. We pray that you would give us faith. You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Would you say to darkened hearts today, let there be light, and there would be light today. We look to you, and we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we've been uh, reading through the book of Mark, um, and we've been studying it and, and thinking through it, and, and, uh, and this book of Mark this year, as we've been looking at it, we've been kind of recounting and looking again and again and again at, this, at the theme of Mark. And the theme of Mark is, who is Jesus? Okay, that's his theme. Who is Jesus? And we've said that Mark is like a director of an action movie who constantly draws us into the rapid, vivid story of Jesus' life again and again and again. So that we ask, ask ourselves as listeners to the book of Mark, who, if we're really taking this book seriously, who is this Jesus? And today is no different. Actually, at the end of this episode, the disciples themselves stand up like in some, like the closing scene of almost every, every Jerry Brockheimer film, you know, when he does that slow camera thing where it like rises up from the, the ground and it slowly like circles around the main characters and they kind of look up in the air like, oh my gosh, what just happened? That's kind of how it is at the end of this episode. The sea goes calm the rain stops, the wind stops, the moon's like blaring on their face, and they're just, they're, they're just storm-tossed, and they look at Jesus, and the, like maybe the camera like pans around them, and they look at him like, who is this, as Jesus is laying probably still on the cushion? 
Who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And this is what Mark loves to do. He is more vivid and graphic in this depiction of this story than any other of the gospel writers. Who is this, the disciples ask of Jesus, that the wind and the waves obey him? See, before this, they've seen illnesses obey Jesus. When Jesus speaks to illnesses, Peter's sick mom, somebody with leprosy, they've seen illnesses obey him. They've seen crippled bodies obey him, like the man with the withered hand. They've seen demons obey him when he casts them out. But in a sense, there is a way that you might be able to explain these away, just maybe. You might say, well, he was in league, like some people were saying. He was in league with Satan and the demons, and that's why the, the demons obeyed him, maybe. Or maybe those people were really not that sick. Maybe Peter, Peter's mother-in-law was faking it. Or maybe Withered Hand Boy was faking it. Maybe somebody was faking it along the way, and, and maybe. But this... When Jesus calms a storm, calming the forces of nature and the chaos of the sea, this is altogether different, and this blows their mind. So what's going on here? Here we learn the formidable power of Jesus, the scary, awesome, amazing power of Jesus. This book, the book of Mark, is a book of Christology. That is, Mark is telling us about Jesus, who he is, why he's here, what he's doing here, that sort of thing. So every pericope, every story shows us something about Jesus. Every account, every episode, every part of this narrative in Mark is laying out the real Jesus, and he's putting the real Jesus to bear on our hearts. That's what he's doing. This is the real Jesus, and he, and he tells us to think about this. Well, the topic of today's episode, or, or the sermon, or whatever, is storms. The storms that we go through in life, the storms that Jesus brings us through, the topic of today's text is storms. And when we last left off, Jesus was in the boat teaching because this crowd gathered around him on the Sea of Galilee, so packed, so unmanageable, that he was shoved into a boat to teach from a boat. And he was teaching, and he taught them in parables. He taught them that the kingdom of God was like a seed. And a good heart would accept the seed of God's word by simply obeying it and believing it. And this seed, though being vulnerable to the surrounding elements, would take roots. Now listen, he just got done teaching. The, the seed is vulnerable to all these elements. All these outside elements, the sun that scorches it, the soil that, that, it's, that it's brought into, the seed, the seed of God's word is vulnerable. And this, this series here, we learn that humanity is also very vulnerable. They get in the boat and everything is fine and they are struck by the biggest storm they've ever seen. And they realize how vulnerable, how small they really are. But at the end of this story, they see how big and how powerful and how awesome Jesus is. Jesus taught that the parable, through the parable of the seed, that the kingdom of God is like a huge tree hiding in a tiny seed. So Jesus teaches this great lesson about the kingdom of God and he pushes off from the shore, and he tells his disciples in verse 35 of chapter 4, let us go across to the other side. So they're on the boat. He's done preaching his sermon. The night has come, and he's like, hey, let's shove off. Let's go to the other side. They're actually going to the Gentile territory. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. Let's push off to the other side. Let's go. And this is a very important turn in the narrative. Pay attention here. Jesus 
was just teaching about trusting in his word. He was just saying, take my word to heart. Let it fall and penetrate your soul. Then he says, with his word, let us go to the other side. And they get into the boat, and they ship off, and they set sail, and then this colossal storm kicks up. This massive, giant storm happens. And what Jesus is doing here is moving the disciples from a sermon to a situation, from a sermon to a circumstance. And this proves to be the hardest part of following Jesus always. Not just for the first disciples, but for people today. I mean, we've all been a part of sermons. If you've ever been to church before, if you've just started coming to church, for two weeks you've been two weeks, like we give a, a, a huge part of teaching God's word. And if you've been a part of churches in the past, sermons have been a huge part of your church-going existence. You've probably heard really good sermons. You've probably been moved by maybe a morning devotional in the morning as you're reading a morning devotional. You've probably heard a powerful speaker or simply been profoundly moved by the words of Christ in the Bible. But we all have to get up from those sermons and those lessons, and we have to live in the real world, all of us. We hear something rad from a rad speaker. We, we go and we go to a camp or a retreat or something, and we hear an amazing speaker or a great sermon or a great devotional, but we all have to get up and live in the real world. And the, in the real world, there are storms. In the real world, there are storms from outside and storms from within. There are storms that wreck our lives and threaten to destroy everything that we hold dear. So we'll see here in the middle of this storm, Jesus, we'll see this, the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the plan of Jesus. In this storm, we'll see the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the plan of Jesus. First of all, and then I'll start with peace, so they have to be true, okay? The power of Jesus. Okay, first of all, the Sea of Galilee was nearly 700 feet below sea level in this basin surrounded by all these hills and mountains. 30 miles northeast is Mount Hermon that, that sits 9,200 feet above sea level. So in roughly 30 miles, you have a drop from, a 10,000 foot drop from Mount Hermon to the Sea of Galilee. And the evening winds would whip over Mount Hermon and go right down to the Sea of Galilee. And they would bring this, free, this really frigid cold air from Mount Hermon right down to the rising heat from the Sea of Galilee. And that is a recipe for a hurricane. These were very common on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37, when it says a great windstorm kicked up, can also be translated a furious squall or a hurricane. I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean when there's a hurricane. This is like one of my biggest fears. I almost hate saying it because it might happen now. This is like one of my biggest fears, to be caught. My wife goes, we should go on a cruise. I'm like, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> the, the boats are big. The ocean's bigger. Like, I <laughs> Storms are gnarly. And, they're, and they're, this boat is 25, about 25 feet long and about 8 feet wide. That's not a cruise ship, okay? That's a canoe. And there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee as a giant hurricane kicks, kicks up. Now we have to remember, um, several of these disciples were experienced fishermen. 
They were pros. They were professional fishermen. They worked and they lived on this lake, on this, the Sea of Galilee. They saw their fair share of storms and hurricanes and squalls, but this storm was different because they were dying. They have never been in a storm like this before. It actually says that the water, the boat was filling with water and they were going down. They were sinking. They were dying. The water started to fill the boat and they were literally perishing. When they woke Jesus up, they're saying, we are perishing. They lived their lives on the sea. So they weren't being emotional here. They weren't getting all email. They're going, oh my gosh, we're going to die. It's raining. I'm cold. I'm hungry. Jesus, where are you? It wasn't like that. It wasn't like us. They were really going down. They were really dying. And they turn to Jesus and they wake him up and they says, don't you care? This was a fact. They were the experts. They were going to die, they thought. So they wake up Jesus and he says, do you not even care that we are dying? We are dying and you are sleeping in the hour of our greatest need. Where are you? And it says that Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. The way that Mark writes his, this, this narrative here, he puts in all these details that only could be because they were eyewitness accounts. They don't really add that much to the story, only to, only to show us that this was an eyewitness account. He mentions things like um, there were other boats around, then they shipped off, like how Jesus got into the boat just as he was. He didn't grab anything else. Like Jesus was asleep on a cushion, on a cushion. Why would you mention that? He was asleep on a cushion, and then how the boat was filling with water. But when Jesus woke up, Mark doesn't say that he stood up, that he raised his voice, that he lifted his hands to heaven. He didn't say anything like that. He just woke up, opened his eyes, and said, be still. And it was. The command was actually two verbs. One of them was in the present imperative, and the second one was in the perfect passive imperative, meaning, this is what Jesus literally said, be calm and stay calm. That's what he said. He said, be still and stay still. Be still and keep being still. This verb carries a sense of being muzzled as well. Jesus is muzzling a hurricane like you would muzzle a person with his word. He was saying, sit down and shut up. That's what he was saying to a storm. And the most amazing and miraculous thing is that it does. The storm goes, okay. And it settles down. And the wind stopped, and the sea was as smooth as glass. Now, you, not, you cannot miss the cosmic overtones that are going on right here that Mark is trying to draw our minds into. Who's really the only one that has the power to part the sea and to lead his people through dry land? Who's the only one who has the creative power to look at the darkness that was over the face of the deep, Genesis chapter 1, and say, let there be light? Who, as it says in Job, who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who's the one of whom it says in the Psalms when a man's courage melts away and he staggers? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea are hushed. When they were glad and that the, water, that the waters were quiet, then he brought them to their desired haven. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. What Mark is saying here is that the power of Jesus is the power of God. The power to transform a great storm into a great calm with his word was Jesus. Jesus reveals that he has the power to do what only God who created the sea can do. Jesus has the power over the sea. The place in ancient culture of chaos and evil. Jesus has the power over chaos and evil. He actually uses the word, he rebuked the waves. When's the last time he rebuked something? The demons. The sickness. Jesus is personifying everything and saying all of it is against his people and him, and he rebukes all of it. And he keeps rebuking and rebuking and rebuking all throughout Mark until finally, at the end on the cross, it is finished. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus' power is so formidable that to the disciples, he becomes a stranger all over again. When Jesus sits up, stands, I don't know, it doesn't say what he does, but he's just laying there and he says, be still, stay still, and it is. They look at Jesus like, I don't even know you anymore. Who are you? We have never seen this sort of power. We've only heard of this sort of power. Who are you that the wind listens to you and the waves listen to you and the sea listens to you? We, who, who, who is this? Who is this who is just in REM sleep but has, by his word, the wind stops and the sea is calm? Who is this who can stop a storm? See, they were better able to handle the possibility of their drowning and dying than the presence of God among them. Now, who do they think was really in the boat with him? They actually say it. Teacher. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? But it wasn't a teacher in that boat. It was the Lord. The Lord was in that boat with them. God was in the boat with them. The presence of Jesus in our storms is the main point of this passage. When you're in a storm, the presence of Jesus is the point of this passage, that he is there, like in Daniel when he's in the lion's den, and the Lord is there with him. God is there. Like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, God is there. The point is that God is present when you're going through storms. He is there. Even when you think he's asleep, he is there with you. His nearness when we think he's not paying attention, or when it seems God is nowhere to be found. When you ask the question, and I know maybe almost every one of you have asked this question, you've asked it in concert with the disciples, God, don't you care about me? Why are you sleeping when I need you, God? Or when we say in concert with the psalmist, Psalm chapter 44, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Ask yourself this question. Look at this story and ask this. What did the disciples lose faith in? What did they really lose faith in? Jesus asked them at the end of this story, where is your faith? How is it that you have no faith? That you still have no faith after everything you've seen? 
What did the disciples lose faith in? Could you say they lost faith in Jesus? Well, not really, because they woke Jesus up. If they'd lost faith in him, they probably wouldn't have woke him up. Like, what good is he to us anyways? Let's keep, let him sleep, which is another miracle that Jesus could sleep through a storm like that. (laughs) But they, they do wake him up. They could have said, you know what? We lost all faith in Jesus. There is no use in waking him up. Let him sleep. But they do wake him up. They did call upon him, so then what did they lose faith in if it wasn't in Jesus? What did they lose faith in? This is what they lost faith in. They lost faith in his love for them. They lost faith in his concern for them. They lost faith in his care for them. They lost faith in that. And that strikes at the core of every follower of Jesus at some point. Because there's not a one of us that hasn't felt like that. We still believe in Jesus, Like, we believe in him, we believe in this, but the thing is that Jesus could do something. Jesus could do something. And this, this, here is where we actually get angry. This is where we're the most unsettled because we know that he could do this. We know that Jesus could get us and find us a spouse. We know that Jesus could get us a job, that Jesus could cancel our debt, get us out of debt. We know that Jesus could remove this temptation that keeps plaguing us. We know that Jesus could give us children or that Jesus could keep our dad alive. He could. We know that he can, but he doesn't. And that's when we lose faith. Faith in his love for us. You must not care. Because if you cared, I wouldn't be so lonely. Because if you cared, I wouldn't be jobless. If you cared, and then you fill in whatever. You wouldn't have let this happen. You must not care. So the disciples ask, do you not care? Jesus, wake up. Why don't you care? Sinclair Ferguson said, it was the cruelest question they could have asked because the very reason he was in the boat, indeed in the world, and the reason he was going to die on the cross for them was precisely because he cared for them. But this question remains. If he cared, then why did he let the storm almost take them over? And why does God allow storms to almost overtake us? Why does God allow some people to be completely destroyed by storms and circumstances? Why does God do this? See, the answer lies at what happens at the end of this story. Because before Jesus calmed the storm, they were afraid they were about to die. But after Jesus calmed the storm, ironically, they were terrified and more afraid of Jesus' power. See, it doesn't say they were afraid of the storm. They just said, we're going to die. But when Jesus calmed the storm, it says they were terrified. See, they were scared before of the storm, but they were more scared of Jesus. They looked at him going, oh my gosh, or oh my God, or whatever they said. They were more afraid of Jesus' power than they were of the storm. They weren't like, whoa, whoa, thanks for getting our backs. That was a close one. That was really close. They didn't even know who he was anymore when he calmed the storm. They were totally terrified, and they asked, who are you? But they realized that the storm has a power that they could not control. The storm has this power, this uncontrollable power, that they could not harness, that they could not control. 
But what they saw at the end was Jesus had infinitely more power, and you can't control him either. Jesus had way more power in the storm, and he's the one that led him into the storm. What's the difference? The storm doesn't love you, but God loves you. And if God has that much power to control everything, don't you think that he must have some divine reason for letting you go through storms and things you don't understand? So the human's challenge to God is, this is how we challenge God, don't you care? But this also meets the divine challenge to the human from God. Why are you so afraid? See, we say, God, why don't you care? And God would say, why are you so afraid? Why don't you have faith? And these are both real questions because they're both, they both reflect real realities. On one hand, the desperate human situation, which leads us to ask, God, why don't you care? That's a real thing. We all felt that way from time to time. God, where are you? Why don't you care? But then on the other hand, there's this divine assurance that God knows what he's doing, which leads us to ask the question, why don't you trust? The ultimate issue at stake in any given circumstance is which of these two realities will you live by? Will you live, live by the human condition that goes, God, why don't you care? Or will you live by the divine reality, I will trust in God? Which one will get more of your attention and your thought life? Which one will help you in decision making? Because lastly, we see the plan of Jesus. Jesus has a plan to get the disciples to the other side of the sea. He says to them, let us go to the other side. That was his word, and he just got done teaching about how we're to take in his word and let it fall on hearts that believe. And then he goes, okay, I'm going to use my word. Let's go to the other side. They're halfway there, and they're going, we're dying. Why don't you care? You've left us. You're asleep. But he also has a plan to take them through a storm. Because if God knows anything, he knows he's going to take them through a storm. He knew exactly what he was doing. And it's not the love and the power of God that keeps us from storms. It's precisely because God is powerful and because he does love us that he brings us through storms. Following Jesus is not a refuge from the uncertainties and insecurities of the world. Following Jesus is not a refuge from the uncertainties and the insecurities of the world. And if somebody sold you that kind of Jesus, I'm sorry, it's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus leads people through storms. The first hearers of this book, the first audience of the book of Mark, was a Christian community that was living under the persecution of a, the Roman tyrannical ruler Nero. They were reduced to a catacomb existence and were fed to wild beasts for sport. And they get this book, and they learn it's the very plan of God to lead us right into a storm, like Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, I highly recommend that you do. You might have a, maybe a crisis of faith right in the middle of it, going, well, I don't want to read this because if I read this and know that God could do this, he might do this. The question that is put in front of us dramatically in the book of Job, 
when Job's world starts to crumble through this massive storm, literally a storm that takes away his family, is this. Is faith more a product of environment and circumstance? And can a person believe when God appears to be an enemy? See, Satan's accusation was that Job was conditioned to love God. And Satan said to God, take away his good life and his stuff, send him through a storm, and his faith will crumble. He's conditioned to love you because you keep giving him stuff. Take it away. And what's fascinating about Job is that he never gets answers. God doesn't walk up to Job one day and go, okay, Job, this is what happened. Um, Satan came to me, and he uh, asked to have you, and so I said, okay. He didn't do that at all. He didn't go up apologizing to Job, hey, it was Satan. I mean, oh. he kind of put me in this little thing and a bet, and I, you know, I was just, we're just betting on you. He didn't do that at all. He didn't, he didn't give Job any answers, even though that's what he wants most throughout the whole book. Him and his friends, the whole book is this po- poetic, wonderful poetic back and forth of it's, you're suffering because of this. No, it's because of this. No, you need to repent. No, you need to do this. Do more good things. You need to, it's because of this in your past. And it goes on and on and on. They're trying to figure out why is God doing this. And his friends are trying to figure out why this is happening. But God never gives them an answer. In Job chapter 42, God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind, out of a storm. And he says, Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? God says, This is who I am. I am God. Trust me. And God never gives him answers. He gives Job himself, his character. In the midst of the storm, God gives Job him. And oftentimes, the plan of God is not revealed to us. But you and I can still have peace. Philippians chapter 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything. We could probably stop right there because that convicts most of us already. (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, instead of prayers that lack faith, prayers that are filled with anxiety and fear, we are told to pray with thanksgiving and dependence. We're told to pray with thanksgiving, making our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, and then dependent, trusting in God. When we pray like that, it doesn't say that God will stop the storm necessarily or make all your requests a reality. It says that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. The peace of God will guard you. That word guard is a military word that means to protect from hostile invasion. This is what this says. When you and I pray with this thanksgiving and dependency upon God, the peace of God will protect us from the hostile invasion from the outside. It's like there's peace inside because God is fighting for you outside. There is a storm raging outside, but there is a peace inside because God is fighting for you. This is one of the major points of this text. If Jesus calm the storm of nature, he can calm the storm inside of you. He can bring you peace in the midst of a storm. He can say to your heart, be still. He can say to your mind, 
be still, and stay still. He can give us a peace that will guard us, that will guard us from the chaos that's outside of us. This is true. However, it's not the whole point of what Mark is trying to get across here. You see, when Jesus calms the natural storm, it caused, it caused an, an, inter, an internal storm to start brewing in the disciples' hearts. Okay, so there's a storm raging outside, but when Jesus calmed the storm, they got so afraid of Jesus because he calmed the storm. And the storm started brewing in their hearts. And they started looking at Jesus going, who is this that calms the sea? The point is not that Jesus is the nice, powerful, manageable, predictable force. It isn't that Jesus is safe. It's that in Jesus' power, in his unmanageable power, he directs all his efforts to redeem and to save you. It's that you can trust God. With all his power to calm the storms, he lovingly brings you through them. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's that scene where Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Beaver were trying to explain to the kids who Aslan was. Let me read it to you, a story time. Who is Aslan, asked Susan. Aslan said, Mr. Beaver, why don't you know he's the king? He's the lord of the whole wood. He'll put all things right, as it says in the old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter will meet meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Or again, whatever. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's why I brought you here. I'm to lead you to where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor, emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know that he is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? Shall I, I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Following Jesus is not safe. Following Jesus will lead you right into the middle of the storm, but do you believe that he's good? That is what Mark is showing us, that he will lead us right into the middle of the craziest parts of our lives, but he is with us. Who is this that calms the sea and the storms? And this is Mark's whole point throughout the whole book. It is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being near us. Lord, I pray for anyone who is just being wrecked right now by a storm or situation in their lives and they don't understand it and they need clarity. I pray, God, that you would give yourself to them. That you are the gospel, Lord. That it's not answers, it's Jesus. And I pray that you would be near us, Lord. That you would be close to us, God. And people that are, there's just storms raging all around them. I pray that you give them this peace that surpasses understanding, and they would not try to find understanding, but know that it comes 
without understanding. It's a peace that only you can give. Would you calm the storms in our hearts? Would you give us faith to believe when you're not calming the storms outside of us, that there's a reason that you're taking us through them? Would you strengthen us, Lord? Would you give us faith, Lord? We believe that you are good. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.